0: The number one financial destination, Yahoo Finance.com.
1: What's good, Internet? It's Austin Walker coming to you live. I didn't say Waypoint well, Radio. I'm gonna start over again. What is happening?
2: <laughs> no. Been no, You day. just have to live. You just have to live with that terrible intro. And also, we're
1: not.
2: Also, we're not coming for, to you live. We're not. No we
1: It's not. Like not in any way. Like not even in the hypothetical. Like because it's it, we're spoilers. We're recording this on a Monday and it's going up on a Friday. It's all um, wrong. Also, I'm clipping a little bit. My my mic volume went up somehow. I'm gonna bring it down a little bit. <laughs> One second. There we go. And that sounds more like that's 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 better. Somewhere in there. Somewhere in there. Uh, okay.
2: This is a great Monday. We're off to a a really wonderful start.
1: Oh, boy. Welcome to Waypoint Radio. (laughs) This is Austin. It's it's Patrick. It's Danielle. It's us. It's your faves. We're here. And if you're listening to this, it's at least uh, November 25th, Friday, November 25th, unless you're Tim, our podcast engineer, which hopefully you're listening to it before November 25th.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, Uh, Monday has gone off the rails even more than we expected. Oh, boy.
1: sure has. Uh, so today, because it's a it's a we're not in the office. We have Friday off today. It's Black Friday. Uh, you know, the America's national holiday. Um, we have off. We have off for yesterday for Thanksgiving. We have off today, and so we're, we're putting this one in the can a little bit early. So it's not going to be a traditional like, hey, what's happening in the world? What have you been playing? Let's talk about a. a the things in the world, politics. Um, instead, we're just going to get through this question bucket. Like I've yeah. determined, I'm determined to dig through this bucket and get that good stuff. Get those. Gonna good get questions. S- we're
2: going to get sloppy going today. Deep it's into that bucket, all over my hands. <laughs> oh my god, gross. <laughs> so
1: I think the plan, my actual plan, is I want to take one from the top and one from the bottom. Okay, okay. all right. So and then we're just going to alternate for an hour, uh, and we're going to get through some good questions. Yeah. I don't know what some of these questions are. Like I know the questions <laughs> that are in the bucket. Maybe they're good. Maybe they're bad. <laughs> Welcome to Waypoint Radio. It's d- democracy. I think you should put
3: on some gloves. This is what we always I talk about. In EMS. Get, oh, you have to do your BSI, point. your scene safety. Put on your yes. gloves. Get ready. Um,
1: so, do you want to start, start at the top or the bottom first? Let's mm. start at the top.
3: Let's go with so most top. recent and then go right from the bottom.
1: All right. So let's start with the most recent one then, yeah. and then and and then we're gonna we're gonna go deep into the bottom, <laughs> deep into the bottom. All right. So this comes in from Keenan uh, from British Columbia who says, uh, "Hey." Uh, first off, thanks for doing all that you do. Waypoint Radio is a welcome shot of semi-serious discussion that always uh, interests and excites. Keep, it, keep on keeping on. Thank you so much, Keenan, for Thank that. Thank you. Um, uh, they then go on to say, I'd like to ask a question about writing, specifically about finding your voice in a space overflowing lately I've, been, I''ve found myself craving uh, writing about games as a creative outlet now before you roll your eyes in anticipation for yet another how do I become a games journalist question I want to stress that my writing is strictly intended for an audience of one myself but even though I'm really just writing as a professional or as a personal exercise, I still find it a struggle to find my own voice in this world of hot takes and endless medium think pieces how do you write something original? How do you find a new perspective a new angle? It seems like most of the time I have options I have opinions on games someone else ha- has already Expressed them more clearly and beautifully than myself, leaving me frustrated and desperate for an original thought on a game without having to reach. Uh, without having to reach, like the time I wrote a deathly serious viscera cleanup detail as anti-war and anti-violence review. Thanks, uh, Keenan from Bridge Columbia. And then, and then at the end. Uh, Keenan says Austin Western University has nothing on Ryerson's Step to me, I'm not going to defend Western. I, I'll I'll defend the the Faculty of Information and Media Studies. Like shout outs to FIMS, but I'm not going to defend Western University in general. So I, yeah, Ryerson's dope. Anyway, how do you how do you find a voice if you're if you're a writer?
3: I think the most important thing, especially for somebody who's sort of just starting, is don't go after the exact same things that everybody's already sort of having a hot take or an opinion on. If you really want to kind of develop your voice and have some space and some breathing room, find something that is not super popular or not sort of done to death. You know, don't no. don't write about Bioshock Infinite or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> like 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 take a step, go find something small, find something different, find something that speaks to you, and then take a minute with it, like take your time with it, go with your gut. You know, be honest about it. I, I think it can be very, very easy to kind of get lost in the glut of, of stuff, mm-hmm. of opinions and, and stuff. And it can be really intimidating when you're just starting out. Like, how do, you know, how am I honest about this? How do I do this when I've already read a hundred things about X, Y, or Z? So, yeah, I right. think find something find something else. Find something different and then spend your time with it and develop yourself from there.
2: I, I, I would actually take, in, in some ways, a contrarian advice and that sometimes writing the obvious stuff is also hard and yes. doing that is not necessarily uh get beating yourself up because you don't have an original idea doesn't mean you don't have something original to say uh and uh, sometimes writing you know riffing on the same idea maybe you'll come up with something in the uh in the process of doing that and also the only way to come up with the original idea is to write way too much right. way too often <laughs> a lot.
1: Yes. Uh, yes Like
2: you're going to write a ton of Bad takes or mediocre takes or whatever you know. However, you want to uh, delineate that. that, that when it, the advice I always give to people is just write. Yes. You know, focusing too much on the angle, on originality, like all that stuff will come and will flow out of the fact that you write a lot, and then you'll just naturally start to develop an instinct for things like. If you end up, if that ends up being something that you grow a skill for, that will come naturally from just writing way too much.
1: Yeah, you'll you'll find yourself like. And for me, when I look back at the stuff I, I write, like I always go through this period of like, uh, I hate everything I write, or I hate I hated this thing I wrote. And then like with a little bit of distance, you're like, oh, actually, uh, I'm coming to understand when I'm having a really good day writing versus when I'm having a really bad day writing. Like, you can start to develop a sort of ability to evaluate yourself honestly. And then you get those moments that Patrick is talking about, which is like, oh, shit, like, I'm on to something. Like, this is <laughs> a thing. Oh, man, this is a good one. Like, I can run with this a little bit. Um, but you, you really do only get that if you push yourself to actually write. I, I, I spent years, years, like you know, when I was, like, in my late teens, early 20s, wishing I was a writer, and then it took me a long time to, like, oh, the way I do that is by writing. Like, and I'm not going to be happy with everything I write, but I need to just keep doing it, and keep doing it, and keep doing it. Um, the other thing I'll, I'll, I really do advise is if you're trying to just, like, work those muscles, write things differently. Like, write, literally give yourself some... It, it sounds like it sounds like Kenan's doing this as, like, an exercise, almost. Like, I, he wants to... Or they want to strengthen their their writing muscles. So, like right? Give yourself a 400 word limit. Give yourself a, a 2000 word limit. Make yourself write something really long form. Um, you know, play games that have nothing to do with the sort of games that you like and write about them and like try to understand why people do like those things. Uh, do interviews, do profiles, do basic like day-to-day news reporting. Like try to, when you're building your portfolio when you're trying to like get a handle on the skill of writing, you have to try a bunch of different stuff write a write a tech review like write a review about the computer you use every day of your life and see what that's like because you will learn different you will learn that you have an aptitude and an interest in different parts of writing um like i definitely i said this earlier this year but like I came up as like a a, a critic who was writing big long form things um but in the last, like, year or two, I've really found that I really enjoy writing really short-form things. Like, I, I love figuring out how to say something in 300 words. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have ever done that if in the kind of, like, older, almost more, um, not just unrealistic, but kind of, like, pretentious version of me, which was like, oh, everything I want to say needs 2,000 words. Like, nah dog, Like you could say a lot in 300 words. It's just really hard. You know, that's the... The mark twain quote of like i would have oh, yeah. written you a shorter letter but i didn't have the time right so it's it's i think that that's the thing is like what patrick said is totally right keep writing write as much as you can i think what danielle said is is probably also right which is like follow your gut with what you want to write like if you really have that urge to write a thing just fucking write it it doesn't matter that somebody else has hit it already um and then yeah just push yourself to try different sorts of formal styles and formats and stuff like that um and and find an editor pitch pitch when you have stuff that you think would be really good try to find an editor or try to find uh, someone else who will proofread your stuff try to find someone else who is also writing and like to get notes and ideas like having someone you can trust at that stage of your writing like path to give you feedback is huge
2: yeah like post on a forum or something like the audience of one is probably because you're afraid that you're going to look stupid yep. when you publish it and and you know the the honest truth is like we all like even folks like us who have somehow tricked other people into paying us to do this <laughs> for a living yeah. uh like we write lots of bad things and like lots of bad things go through editing and become yep. better things the result and and really the only way you're going to f- kind of you're your own worst critic and judge and and even if it's someone who doesn't even play video games just getting someone to look at your stuff yeah. is going to help you go uh, to, to make those leaps and to identify what your strengths and weaknesses are because you're just, at some point when you've spent, you know, three hours or four hours on something, you lose all perspective on whether it's any good. Right. And
3: I, I would also just say embrace bad first drafts as well. Yeah, Like, it, don't let yourself get caught up in writer's block. If you got something to say, say it. It's okay if it's a piece of shit at first. Mm-hmm. Like, so many wonderful things, so many great pieces of writing suck so much at first. first like, draft, don't yeah. be afraid to do a first draft and then, like, just just have the attitude, I'm just getting through this, and then I'm going to go back and make it better. So Yes, yeah.
1: yes, totally. And don't be afraid to cut. Like, yeah. if you've written 2,500 words, and the best version of that story is 1,500 words, learn how to cut those 1,000 words. Uh, it's, it's, it hurts unless it's, it's
2: about, Unless you're writing about poise in Dark Souls 3, right. and you keep all those <laughs> <laughs> words. You need every word. Because they're and, needed. And you need every <laughs> word that you have.
1: Um, <laughs> the, like, learning how to cut it was really tough, and the, the lesson that I used to always give my students about that was... You know, those words aren't wasted. First of all, like, a lot of times you can write a piece that has, like, 2,500 words or something... And then realize that you can take a thousand of those words, and those could be a different article that you can yes. give the attention and and love that those words need to like make those stand on their own. That's one. Two. Like even if you do just cut them and put them in a, a like a file somewhere that's like all the words I've ever cut. Those were the analogy I always used was was those were like bridges, uh, building towards the better, greater article, right? So like you might not need uh, all of those words to get your point across. And in fact, having shorter articles, having articles of the like. 800 to 1500 word range those are the things that people a lot of people are going to spend the time reading with rare exception um, and so being able to get to that the punchiest version of that stuff is a, a really difficult skill but it, it doesn't mean that the stuff that you've cut on the way is wasted it, it just means that that stuff helped you get to that that point and, and it served its purpose it just doesn't need to be a, a public uh, facing thing um, so this next one comes in from an anonymous source Hot, hot anonymous good. source. So good. we're at the bottom we're, now. This is
3: the bottom so of the bucket.
1: This is the first question I ever added to the question bucket. Oh, good, good. Welcome to Waypoint. Is games, media, and gaming for the middle class and up? Asks uh, an anonymous source. Uh, I'm below the poverty line, well below the poverty line, and gaming is a hobby of mine. I often feel like lots of games media isn't intended for me because it's often discussing $60 titles that I have v- very little interest in and very little means to buy. Last week, Patrick said that VR was something, quote, within reach for the average person that considers technologies and games (laughs) a a hobby. VR is impossibly expensive for someone coming from my economic position. I don't have $50 to put away each month to buy any headset. I have to be careful when I drop $10 on a cool-looking indie title. But I still love games and really enjoy a lot of the free-slash-inexpensive stuff going on there. Despite the fact that I play games very often, I don't often feel like I count as someone who considers games a hobby. Is there a divide between the conversations that happen around games and the game's media and some game players? Would you consider working class and below game players part of Vice Gaming's audience? Vice Gaming, also. Uh, sorry for the long-winded question. This is something that has been gnawing at me for a little while. I'm excited to see what you do at, at the new Vice Gaming. All
2: the best. Uh, well, considering shots fired <laughs> uh, at me. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think he's right. I, th- I think, generally yeah. speaking, you know, the, the media uh, pitches its coverage at... Like the middle class, someone that can afford. If I'm mm-hmm. pulling a stat out of my ass, of you know, they play six to ten games a year. They right. can they they can afford at least one major console, if not multiple consoles. Right. I, I'd say we we tend to our generate our writing uh, towards people who view not gaming as a hobby, but as a, a passion. Sort mm-hmm. of corded uh, your identity is way too hyperbolic, but it's it's something that is you know sort of uh, you're you're deeply interested in past the point of just casually playing uh, a game every once in a while um and i think that's that's probably a blind spot i think it's important yeah. for 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 folks uh like i was going to say their name but then i realized anonymous source <laughs> right. uh to to talk about that to, to to convey that perspective um and you know as we were talking about before about like finding angles in writing like those are angles that we don't consider. Those are angles that don't yeah. come up because it's tough for me to consider that. Like I'm, I'm privileged enough uh, economically and socially to, to yeah, to to say something like VR is affordable <laughs> to the to someone like myself. Because for a lot of people I know, that is true. For people that are passionate uh, uh, about games, that's not to diminish your passion at all. It's just that my blinders put me in a position where that's mostly what I see around me. So that becomes sort of the mm-hmm. perspective I write from and pitch to. Um, and uh, yeah, that is, I mean, he's right. I mean, I think he is essentially games do right for the middle class.
3: Yeah. I think a lot of my friends who maybe don't have like a permanent home and definitely live sort of uh, below the poverty line, they they might have like a laptop and they'll right. play something. They'll be obsessively playing something from like six, eight, 10 years ago. And like, that's their game. And like, they're like super into the community. They're super into whatever, you know game that is uh and you know i'll talk about like i actually had this experience this weekend where i was blabbing on and on and on about you know all these games that i've been playing yeah. and how exciting it is and like my friend looked at me and was like the game is 60 dollars, dude like yeah no fuck that you know yeah so it is definitely yeah like i'm just totally there with patrick like yeah it's it can be a blind spot and it's something i think we should pay attention to and i and i definitely think that those folks should be a I, I think there's a place at Waypoint for, for those folks, and I'm, I'm hoping we can cater as well to sort of people who are passionate but may not have sort of the means to grab everything and buy everything right when it comes out.
1: You know, it's, it's one of those things, too, that I think it's more than just those people have a place at Waypoint as readers. I think those people tend, to, or, or, or there are lots of great cases where, where people who came from that situation wound up being really great game makers. Yes. Um a few months ago we ran the story on uh uh AM2R, the the Metroid remake that comes from someone who talks about in you know in the interview never being able to afford new games and just rented games as a child and as a teenager and like eventually got into making games because they had this mystique about them. Jamie Chang who went on to found Clay. Um this is I, I'm I'm trying to paraphrase this from a uh an episode of not what's the not tone control what's the other idle thumbs network oh designer developer notes. interview series yeah
3: i think it's designer notes
1: designer notes i think it was a designer notes episode where jamie cheng was talking about uh growing up in in i believe hong kong um where like real like like official games were just way too expensive to afford and so he bought lots of pirated games and those would lead him to play lots of weird things he would not otherwise play um and so like like he didn't know what Gundam was. He just played this weird, super deformed Gundam strategy game <laughs> on the NES because, yes. like, that was you know two dollars or whatever at the local pirate shop. Um, and so, like, that's the sort of thing that one day leads to Invisible Ink being made, right? Not that he was like, the lead designer on Invisible Ink or anything, but like, he, he does start clay after years of of playing games that way. And you hear that stuff out of out of Eastern Europe. You hear it all the time. And so, I, I absolutely think that you have just a different perspective on games because you're experiencing them in, in different ways. Like, I definitely... I don't know, like, I, I grew up not being able to afford many games and, and absolutely did the rental thing whenever we could and also did the thing of just, like, throwing myself back into the same collection of games again and again and again. Um, and I think a lot of... I think a lot of kids do that already because it's just kids don't have spending money, but I definitely suspect that, you know, there's a certain sort of access to thinking about the games that you do play when you're forced to play them over and over again. Um, which is, which should make you a really valid, valuable, um, contributor to like the ongoing conversation, but the ongoing conversation is so like enamored with whatever's up next. Yeah. That it can be hard to like hit the pump, the brakes a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's a problem, and it's something we will continue to try to address. We run, we run three articles a week, at least, about free games um, for partially that reason. Like, I think the stuff that's happening in the free game scene is really fucking cool. Yes. Um, so our hope is to continue covering those sorts of things. And in general, like, I don't know, I'm still trying to figure out if there is a way to do Black Friday coverage that doesn't make me barf. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know. Happy Black that's Friday. That's the problem with
2: all that stuff, right? Like, ultimately, you know, Waypoint, as passionate as we are, uh, sort of what it is as an idea, mm-hmm. it's also a business. Mm-hmm. And and that's – and, you know, the business of video games is somewhat predicated on the new stuff coming out that people are interested in clicking on. Right. And so, you know, the struggle with any website is how do you find a balance between all of those competing interests to, you know, not sell your soul in the process, <laughs> yep. feel good about the work yep. that you're doing, but make sure that uh, you're going to have that work to do a year from now or yeah. two years from now, um, like how and, do
1: we keep the platform going so that when someone writes writes me and says I want to do a deep dive into you know a European philosophy, The Strokes, and Dark Souls two, I can say <laughs> yes to that, even though Dark Souls two is three years old now, and yeah. who knows who Walter Benjamin is besides a handful <laughs> of people? Like that's but I but to do that, I have to also run stories on Call of Duty. I have to run also, and and my hope is to make those stories accessible to a wider audience because they're not just a about like the th- whether or not the thing is worth your money. I guess that's our bigger strategy here. Is like we want to tell stories about games. We don't just want to tell you whether or not you should or shouldn't buy a game. Yeah. You, you're well served, super well served uh, by that and a billion other places. <laughs> we obviously will share our thoughts about games we're playing, so we are still guilty of that. Um, in in some ways, guilty in, in scare quotes. Uh, but but at the same time, like when we tell when we talk about a new game, I want to be able to talk about it in a way that is um something to be arrived at by itself it's like you know i think about the article that mike ran on call of duty going to the experience and talking to the developers about how no one was excited for their game (laughs) i think that stands apart from whether or not you should buy that game um and i hope that that's something anybody can can read and get enjoyment out of or get you know be find thoughtful find find themselves thinking about stuff um even if they're not interested in buying uh, the new game. So that's, that's kind of our solution to that, to that, or our attempted solution to that problem. All right, so now we're back to the top. This yeah. one comes in uh, from Connor from Michigan who says I still use aim and it's mostly the, er- it's yeah, the most early mid two thousands part of my life. As an example, my username is a Homestar runner reference.
2: Good.
1: Um, they gave me their, their aim name and then added, I don't think I can really dox an aim account. You would be surprised. So I'm not going to read it out loud. Uh, like most people, I use it for easy communication with my classmates and peers, but now I only use it to talk to someone who I consider to be one of my best friends. Oh. I live in the Midwest and he lives on the West coast. We met on the GameFAQs board for Metal Gear Solid, the Twin Snakes. Mm. Uh, uh, we ch- started chatting about MGS and eventually everything from anime to girls to anime girls. It's wonderful. over It's a wonderful over-a-decade-long friendship, <laughs> and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, you might ask why we haven't moved on to another chat interface. After all, we both realized multiple times that the only other person we talk to on AIM is each other. The truth is we've both grown so attached to our font, to our font styles that our conversations just seem too different without them. <laughs> Seeing him type in anything but green aerial text on a black background would just be weird. <laughs> Thanks for the podcast. It's been fantastic being able to hear you guys not once but twice weekly.
2: So uh, good. See like I don't yeah, my commitment to the aim experience uh, is is not not as deep as the font. It's just that most messaging services these days let you add everything. Mm-hmm. So I just add all my accounts and I don't even know like when I message like sometimes I'll message like Vinny Caravella and yeah. I'll message him on on Gtalk. But then sometimes I'll message him and it'll be on AIM because <laughs> it just all mixes together and I don't God. know the difference. I'm just
1: going to hit a bunch of these at once before we go back to the bottom of the bucket because there's, mm-hmm. let me tell you, so you got a, a bunch, of, pe- bunch of people. There were some big stories
3: in there. Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, Fiona says, I, uh, I still use AIM. I even made a new AIM a few years ago when I came out good. as trans. That's awesome. Good. Like, yeah. yes, awesome. <laughs> um, this is in from, from Kelly. Uh, I still use AIM. This is the subject. I still use AIM. And as a games researcher, I know others who do as well. <laughs> Uh, Kelly says I graduated about a year ago with with a master's in anthropology for my thesis I, I conducted a participant observation of a shifting but long term gaming group who had been together in various configurations since about 2000. This group originally formed around a website dedicated to making custom content for Starcraft and has persisted throughout the years thanks to a weekly gaming event revolving primarily around Blizzard games. My research looked at the ways online gaming communities are formed, maintained, and sometimes dissolved. I paid special attention to the role of modern technology, including communication in-game, discussions and contributions to content creation sites and message boards, the use of voice chat programs such as Ventrilo, and of course, instant messaging programs. (laughs) What?
3: Good. What? Yep.
1: As it turns out, my participants primarily communicate outside games via text chat and AIM is their client of choice. <laughs> they yeah, feel, it is. <laughs> they feel that it is useful for organizing games, conducting group chats, and keeping in touch with older members who are seen less frequently around the original website or current game events. That's interesting, and that, to me, ties back into this, like, middle-class argument that came up in the first question. i just like, here I am on the fucking forefront of video game <laughs> enthusiast. <laughs> More like, enthusiast, am I right? Enthusiast. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh because because I'm just like, why aren't you on Discord? That's what all the that's what everybody who's buying sixty dollar games is on. <laughs> <laughs> um but like if you're someone who makes StarCraft content still StarCraft 1? Like, yeah, maybe you are still on AIM. That's cool. I'm not dissing that. Uh, I'll continue the the read here. Some participants suggested that AIM specifically has outlasted competing means of communication, such as the MSN Instant Messenger application or Mm -hmm. Skype, due to its basic functionality and lack of advertisements. Mm. Most importantly, players have saved years' worth of contact information on their AIM accounts, and the service is known as the place to find other group members. So, while it may be tempting to mock Patrick or others for using uh, such seemingly archaic technology, it, it turns out There are dozens of them. Dozens. (laughs) Oh, okay, great. (laughs) Makes it feel a lot better. Dozens. Uh, I admit that Aim was a useful service during my research period that allowed me to conduct online interviews with people I wouldn't have been able to contact otherwise. And while I still haven't, while I haven't been fully converted, I've insisted on using Discord during our Overwatch sessions. To the strange cult of Aim users, I do respect their logic for clinging to the to their ancient ways. I jest.
2: Thank you. I also. (laughs) <laughs> um, I don't want to give up my aim name in the same way I don't want to give up my cell phone number. Yeah. I've had the same cell phone number since I was, I don't know, whenever my parents gave me one because they were afraid I was going to get lost. Like back, <laughs> a Razor flip phone, I think was nice. the first cell awesome. phone. Awesome. I had, uh, and so, you know, I got a number when I was like 14 or whatever. Uh, And yeah, I've had that number ever since. And now I'm, you know, I'm going to be coasting into two decades in a couple of years with that number. I can't give that you up. And I'm not yours. giving up my aim name either. Oh it's God.
3: mine. It's Yours for life. You're don't tasked. dox yourself.
1: Don't dox yourself. Otherwise, people start messaging you on AIM. I um, can't have that. I'm gonna go, there's two more of these, so I'm just going to read them before we go back to the bottom of the bucket.
2: Oh, wait. Are you saying that because you published a transcript of yourself uh, on AIM onto Twitter? Is that how that happens? I like, didn't pick up on it.
1: <laughs> no, no. I don't think that that actually happened. I don't think that. Oh, actually, okay. No one's gotten in touch with me quite yet. My AIM okay. name is just like the name I use on the internet generally, so I probably oh. just got a bunch of Steam requests when that went out, which there is what always is? happens. Um,. This comes in from Christian from Alaska, who says, I don't use AIM as much as I used to, but I started because of my older sister, who I mostly assume started because of LiveJournal, specifically role-playing on it. But when I started to get my feet wet on the internet and meet people on it, I did it through joining a World of Warcraft guild on a role-play server my sister was on. Shout-out to the Camille Takar. I, I hope that that's, like, a good role play guild and not a bad one. <laughs> um, I made a lot of amazing friends who are some of the most talented and creative folks I know, so I signed up for an AIM account in order to chat with them outside of WoW. We may all... We, uh... We may have all kind of migrated to various other platforms in the year, but I still regard AIM with a lot of fondness because of those days. Yeah, I definitely have a fondness for it. I'm not, I'm not opposed. Um, and then this last one comes in from Erica, who says, Hi, first of all, I love the podcast and the site. Thank you. Anyways, not only do I, do I use AIM in this day and age, but I actually only started to use AIM relatively recently. Oh, oh my yeah. God. As I Good. have a couple of friends who my still people u- who still use AIM. What I think makes my, what I think makes using AOL Instant Messenger even sillier is that being Canadian, I'm not even really supposed to be using it because (laughs) it requires an American address and phone number to make an account, which a friend (laughs) provided for me. And the fact that you're not allowed to download the AIM app on your phone if you're not out, if you're outside of the US. So yes, I jumped through hoops so that I'd be able to still use, to to be able to start using aim in 2016. Illegal That's aim. That's true
2: dedication.
1: Uh, anyways, I hope you guys all, all have a, a great day and enjoy your upcoming Thanksgiving. At this point, if you're hearing this, it, it went well. Probably. <laughs> I hope. I hope.
2: I hope so. Hope. As long as a, as long as a
1: certain cousin isn't there, we're yeah, fine this year especially.
3: Uncle Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. Yes.
1: Christ. Oh wait, no. One more. One more. Last one. Comes from pen name who says, "I still use aim. One. I work in the genre of erotica." Good. Two, the people <laughs> who buy erotica still mostly use AIM. Three, okay. ergo, I still use AIM in order to connect with clients and acquire information on their giantess vor requests. Good.
3: I like the I syllogism there. Like yes, therefore, hmm. and therefore, you're on two,
1: they're yeah. uh, right. They're writers. They understand. Uh, they understand how to write erotica and also
2: alliteration. I love it. See now he's 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 exposed the reason I still have AIM. Uh-huh. Aha!
3: <gasps> <gasps> the secret is out now, Patrick. <laughs> Damn you! <laughs> your your
1: aim account, of course, giantess Vorfan. Uh huh.
2: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> Four five six. Four five six. Yeah, of course. The original was Don't taken. Don't shame. I'm I'm not. I'm not. I, know. I promise I'm not. I know. Um. All right. Let's go back to the bottom of the bucket. After oh, that. good. That was that was the. Top. Are you
2: sure that like six emails about aim wasn't the bottom of the <laughs> I bucket in a metaphorical sense?
1: I'm so sure. Oh, was, we've got metaphor. We
3: must be writers, erotica writers. Going um, to the, the bottom, yeah.
1: This comes in from John uh, from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Uh, hey, Austin and Patrick. Danielle was not here yet. Right. Uh, John from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, with a quick question for you guys. What do you think of the current trend in gaming where every game these days tries to be the game in our lives? As someone who's played way less games this year than any other year due to being sucked deeper into single experiences such as League of Legends, 2,000 matches so far, and most recently World of Warcraft for the new expansion. Uh, How do you balance the need to talk about every new experience that comes your way versus the pull to deep dive into just one? I personally used to play every new thing that came along, uh, mostly because I felt like I needed to be part of the conversation. But over the last year or so, I've followed most of my friends into just a few games for the whole year. I almost feel guilty now, like I'm no longer supporting the hobby I love so much. I feel like between podcasts and quick looks, I can get a general feel for how most things play and, uh, and then don't need to spend the $80 Canadian to buy things new. Do you guys wish that you could spend a greater amount of time uh, on something, even if it meant that you couldn't be super current? Do you think it would be valuable to talk about a certain game more and more in depth each week? Or would your fans not tolerate it and want you talking about the newest, latest, best? Love the show so far and can't wait to see what you guys turn the site slash podcast into. Um, uh, again, it feels like we're on a current trend yeah. with these questions, yeah. which is interesting.
2: Yeah, definitely. I- yeah, I, no, I, yeah, I I wish I, you know, when I finished Dishonored 2 uh, as Emily, which will probably happen this week, I I would like to play through it again as Corvo mm-hmm. like but I need to play Watch Dogs 2 or at least to get my head around that game. Yeah. I didn't play Mafia 3. Um so yeah, I mean I think it's like we talked about it earlier with like balancing even the content of the content. Got it. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Take um, a drink. Uh the stuff that's on the website uh you know, yes. Uh, would we like to? Would it be cool to like, turn in? We all just played Dishonored for a month and just wrote articles about Dishonored. Like, yeah, that'd I think be that'd be cool. like a really fucking cool experiment. Yeah. And I think there would we do- probably all get fired the next yes. month. <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> too. Yes, no. no one would let
1: us do that. What if we were like, it's really good though. <laughs>
3: we just rename yeah, our our, po- our podcast just like Dunwall Radio. Like, yeah, you know, just for a month. Dunwall Radio, <laughs> just for a month, you know.
2: <laughs> God. Yeah, I think I do lose some – I think we all lose something when we don't get a chance to do those those deep dives. I mean it's why, you know, uh, like when I was at Giant Bomb, like I made Spelunky part of my work because it's right. like I'm not going to be able to play Spelunky for 45 hours uh, if it's just in my free time. Um, but if I make Spelunky's 45 hours a part of my work, then I can dive in a way that I, I, I couldn't before. But that's just really difficult to do because I think there are – there's there's merit to both sides. There's merit to talking about what people are buying right now, yep. that are playing right now, that want to hear your reactions to it. And then there's merit to doing those those deep dives there where you really critically understand a game on a different level.
3: I mean, this entire yep. subject is part of why I am so in love with very very small games right now, like mm. the sort of things we play for free play, or you know maybe things that are a little bit bigger than that, but like the 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 sort of uh, the not AAA indies, you know, the, the quote unquote AAA indies, but the like actually very small sort of garage mm-hmm. game uh, type of thing. Because I really do love having games that are, uh, they effectively serve as palate cleansers for me. And something where I can get into a completely different headspace when I play something tiny and short and small and I and I get a little view into somebody else's life. And then maybe I can go play something big again. But uh um, right. it, it's one of those things where it's like an embarrassment of riches. Like there's too many good things to play right now, which is kind of awesome in some ways, but It's been a good year. Yeah. It it really has been a great year for games. Um it, there is always a frustration and a tension between God, I love this thing and I want to play so much of it. Uh and obviously for our jobs we have to do a lot of tasting. We don't necessarily get to feast, yeah. we taste, you know, as Patrick was saying. So There's always going to be that tension, but I'm also still going to be really excited that there are things of all sizes that I can at least take a bite out of.
1: Yeah, there's stuff that I would love to just dive into completely. Like we we streamed this game called uh, Soul Trader last week. Oh yeah. Um my my friend uh, and, and our writer Jack DeKee wrote about it for us uh, the week before and so I I brought him on stream and we just streamed it and had a really good time. But but uh I don't have time to like give myself to that game. Like that's a a weird little like indie game that's all about like flying around space and gossiping with people <laughs> and like it's really intense and, and complex in the way that something like Dwarf Fortress is complex. I just don't have the twenty hours to dig into that the way I would love to, um, and I do think that there is something lost from that, right? Like, I, or, or I guess for for me, there's something lost. Like, I can't ever speak um, in the way I'd love to be able to speak about it. Uh, on the plus side, I feel like the thing that ends up happening, and the thing that I hope we can do. Is that when people do give themselves to games in that way, when they do like, okay, I'm going to just play this game nonstop, um, they get the expertise that then they can come to us and say, hey, I really understand this thing. This is a story that is interesting to a wider audience, not only to the people who play this game, but to like this, a, a bigger audience will find this fascinating. I think about the uh, Polygon ran a story on the eggplant run of mm. Spelunky, uh well, Spelunky, I almost said Spelunky
2: 2, which isn't a thing as far as I know. Um, that's what got me to play Spelunky.
1: <laughs> right, is it? Is that really the thing that got you to play Spelunky?
2: Yeah, I was like, what the fuck is going on in this game? Right, that story oh,
1: awesome. is so good, because it breaks down this really complex thing, uh, which is which is called the eggplant run, which I'm not going to even get into here. Uh, and like and in in breaking it down, explains the depths of what that game, of what Spelunky is, and why it was so well designed, and why it's so fun and smart. And so... I think that, that sort of writing only comes from someone who's really closely followed a game and understands it. Uh, and so I'm glad that that's out there. I am a little... It's a, it's a bummer to not be part of that anymore. Like, I won't have a year where I get to put 80 hours into a game like Invisible Ink anymore. Um, you know, I also haven't finished uh, Mafia 3. I haven't finished Watch Dogs. I haven't finished Dishonored yet. So I think that's just part of who we are. Um, but at the same time, I do... I guess maybe the devil's advocate here is what we do get is the ability to taste what the current trend is, right? Like, what's going on across games this year? Like, huh, when you look at games like both Mafia and Watch Dogs... You have games that are talking about social issues directly instead of through the mediation of uh, of an analogy, like a fantasy analogy, right? Huh. That's interesting. I can talk to both of those at the end of the year now because I've played enough of both of them to see how they do it. Um, I would still love to go back and finish both of those. <laughs> I will probably finish <laughs> Watch Dogs. I think I'm in the final act of Watch Dogs too, uh, so I'll probably push through on that one. There's that's like a big thing I think in in our spots. Maybe you can tell me if this is true or not for, for both of you, but, like, I'll hit a point in a game where I'm like, I, I got this one. I can finish this one. It's going to take one long night. I'm not going to be happy tomorrow that I stayed up late, <laughs> but I can do it. Like, I can see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Um, yeah,
2: so... I, 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 I used to do that. I no longer well, you have, a baby. have the option. Well, you have Yeah, well, because it's so much more dangerous now, yeah. right? So yeah. before it used to be that uh, yes, okay, the, the, the worst thing that's going to happen to you is you're going to feel crappy and 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 that you haven't had much sleep mm-hmm. now now this I, I run this knife's edge of uh I try and I cut myself off at midnight these days usually when I'm playing games because i you know I'm getting a sense of uh, my daughter's sleep schedule and but sometimes she breaks that schedule mm-hmm. and so what has happened before is like all right I'm, I'm gonna try I'm pushed through the end of this mission like oh I'm so close I want to see the end I'm like I'm, I'm on a roll and then you know it's 12 15 12 30 and I'm laying down my eyes you know sleep is starting to come over me like it's happening and then I hear over the monitor, wah, <laughs> wah, and I know, I know I've got to get up, I know I've got to get up, and that's at least 45 minutes of my time, and then suddenly it's 1.30, and then suddenly it's creeping to 2 o'clock, and I've made a, I've made a terrible oh, no. tactical error. Oh,
3: no. Uh.
1: <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's not the way you want to live if you're, if you're trying to be rested. Yep. No. Oh, well. <laughs> Too late now. Back to the top of the bucket. Here we are. Uh, <laughs> this comes in from Andy. Uh.
0: When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market join the millions of investors who trust yahoo finance to guide them on their financial journey for comprehensive financial news and analysis visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination yahoo who
1: writes hey waypointists that's oh. that's all right waypointists i'm going to yeah. blow my
2: nose cuz i'm all bleh. oh good mm, i like it yeah. right into the that's mic a waypoint below, below right there that's a waypoint yeah <laughs> Okay,
1: <laughs> love the podcast and really enjoy the discussion about archiving games and gaming history in particular. As a librarian who has who has who has had to slash been able to dabble in archives work, I think Austin's points about the ephemera around a game being important is spot on and has a lot of strong analogs to how legislative history uh, re- researching the history of a bill or a law works. It's easy to compare versions of a section of a statute. When they sign it into law, at least in my state, they include a version with all the changes struck through and all the additions in all caps, just like patch versions on a game. Hmm. All the how and why, however, primarily comes from the ephemera. Most people assume that there's going to be a nice, clean official record where someone lays out all the reasons why they want to create or change a law, but that is almost never the case. Once in a blue moon, they include an intent clause, but most of the time you have to go into the papers of a legislator, uh, which they hopefully donated to the state slash university archives, or in comments to media so that capturing the discussion around the bill or law is often just as important to understanding how and why the law is changing as actually having the different versions of the law in front of you. To me, preserving that conversation around a game is going to be just as crucial to helping someone understand and fully experience the game as as the technical side of, of archival is. It's also going to be incredibly daunting since game devs aren't likely to keep the same sort of records, and all of the third party uh, and all of the third party of the discussion of the game is incredibly dispersed. Thanks for letting me ramble. It's a bit, of, a bit about the weird inter- intersection of my professional and personal lives. Keep up the great work. That's a good point, that, like, there's lots of conversations about games that happen on Twitter or on people's Facebook walls or in the comment sections of something or that gets leaked, or not leaked, but gets linked in a, in a post and then a the CMS changes and now the link is dead. Um, and we've lost, we lose a lot of that stuff. Uh, and... It ends up being a thing where we end up seeing a lot of the same conversations happening over and over again, already. So, I, in 20 years, we're going to definitely see some Bioshock Infinite hot takes <laughs> that are not that hot. You know, um, they're like, "Yeah, we had takes. that talk." Yeah. Yes. Yes.
3: For sure. It, I mean, I, I would love to. I would love to know more about how folks are doing that in other media like how how folks are are going about the archival process for things like community or user-generated content or or Mm -hmm. all of that good stuff because this has to be an issue for pretty much everything at this point right in terms of of history and and preserving things for uh, those purposes so somebody smart has had to have (laughs) figured out some of this right or or in the process of doing so (laughs) it would suck to be
1: 20 years from now and think like oh man if only the good parts of Twitter were archived somewhere. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, and like, there is there is like general archival going on in that way, but with the amount of data that there is and the amount of like conversations that are happening around this stuff, it's not just about having the data; it's about curating it into something meaningful. Yeah. Um, and then there's stuff that we just don't have. Like again, we all I talked about Matrix Online last week, but also just like if you look at a game that came out this year, if you look at something like like Mafia Three no one has the the to really archive that game properly you would need to understand what the the like the uh context that it was arriving in was right so you need to have like a pretty detailed analysis of like okay well like this is why this was interesting in this moment. Like, this is why the things that came before it, these are the things that came after it. Here is, here is like what the attitudes were to including, you know, racial slurs in games. Here are all the different conversations were. It's a lot of work for something that is really easy to feel is frivolous. Um, it's hard to, it's a lot easier to be like, oh, we need to understand the context that laws are passed in uh, than it is to say, like, I want to know the context that mafia three came out in. Um, and it's tough because I think when you're in this field, even when you're in this field, that frivolity can, can undermine your desire to do that work. I know that when I was in academia, there were definitely moments where it was like, eh, I'm more interested in these other side projects about the state of, of you know, labor uh, than I am about my actual dissertation work. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a, a toughie. Um, all right, let's hit the, the bottom. What was that? That was the, that was the top. Mm-hmm. This is a bottom. All
3: right, Yeah. go back okay. to the bottom.
1: Oh, boy. <sighs> This is from, from Gill, who writes, How do you deal... Uh, games are. I'll just, I had the summary, which I was going to read. I'm not going to read the summary. I'm just going to read the, the whole thing. It's gotcha. not not that long. Games are sort of inherently political, like all media. How do you talk about the implications of that when, seemingly unlike most media, video games have a large or at least a vocal base that rejects that premise entirely? It has become a popular strain of thinking to regard analysis and criticism of a game's themes or story as posturing or otherwise insincere cultural warfare. The writer is dismissed as not true gamers etc how much do you think about that stuff when writing stuff in that vein how do you reach out to people with this view um i i my first thing would be to reject the notion that most other media don't have that Mm -hmm. Uh, um there are people across everything from literature to sports to like anything that you could entertain yourself with there is a conversation happening about to what degree we should be critical of that thing
2: um, I mean, you, you even look at this this uh, you know this past election mm-hmm. in which you know you know increased distrust in the media is somewhat fueled by people's uh, in certain you know sections of, of the public saying well you should just report what people say and not tell us how we should feel about it yep. and um, so that, I mean that's that played out in a very <laughs> very very large way <sighs> in the last two years um, so I think uh, it's more that we just have noticed it in games games had this flashpoint of yes. GamerGate um, that crystallized it in a way uh, that uh, has not you know you go look at comics like comics is yep. having this conversation on a on a daily basis um go look at, go google like uh sexy variant covers and yep. you'll find you'll find just like find a, a litany of incidents in the last 12 months um about uh these topics and and how people um do or don't feel about it but um yeah i don't know I, I i guess i i don't worry about it you know i feel like the only work that i can do is the work that um you know how i respond to it and um it's gotten me this far, and so I don't know I don't worry too much about the contingent that wants a political or quote unquote objective whatever mm-hmm. criticism reporting um there, there you know there' there are outlets that claim they want to do that, and I, you know go there if you want that, but i would you know would make the point that uh by trying to be apolitical you're being political in and of itself so it's just a it's it's just a snake that eats itself totally yep, yeah, you can't exactly. you can't that's, win that argument that's
3: the thing every every single creative work in the world you, you could not divorce it from politics because politics are human like you can't divorce <sighs> creations from a human brain that exists inside of a human world with all of our yeah. systems and all of our you know all the all the the systems of oppression and, and inequality that exist in the world always show up in some way. Every I guess game mechanic is in itself sort of saying something about the world, right? So it's yeah, like yeah,
2: and it's it's the word political has gotten weird. Yeah, though. I yeah. think that's the problem, right? You know, is that uh, you know if you, also to borrow from politics, like. The you know people running away from the word liberal and embracing the word progressive mm-hmm. is because the word liberal became to mean a lot of things that people didn't necessarily want to represent them. Sure. And I think there is something to maybe be said about the word political right. um, that has become loaded in a way that as soon as you... Like, you can talk about something but if you don't use the word political, people are going to have a different reaction yeah. than if you use the word politics true. or political because people that immediately conjures a certain set of values or attitudes. Um, I don't think that's necessarily fair, is, but I think a, it's, yeah,
3: yeah, certain, yeah, but I,
2: I, I, think it's, tr- I think it's true that if you use the word, you know, politics, people immediately have a knee-jerk reaction, um, that they might not have if you were just to talk about the thing and not talk about it as political. Yeah.
1: I think totally, I mean, I think yeah. to that, that to me speaks to the, the question that Gil has, which is like, how do you reach people who are dismissed, who would dismiss you? And like, part of me, part of me wants to say like, fuck it, why, why should I reach them anyway? <laughs> right. Um, you know, not because I, like, to use more loaded language, like, I think when I say that, some people are like, ugh, there's Austin, like, in his, in his echo chamber again, and that's not... I don't know that that's a valid line of critique at this point, because I think... Instead, the reason you'd want to turn inwards is to have the debate internally to what you were just talking about, Patrick, which is, like, this divide between liberals and progressives. There are lots of conversations to be had just in this little space and lots of debate and argument to be be had. Like, anyone who talks about, like, the academic echo chamber or the leftist echo chamber or the, you know, the the social justice warrior echo chamber has not spent time in these circles because all we ever fucking do is snipe at each other. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's all we do. It's all we do. Like... I have a list. Like, there's like, we can, every, the, the beef is real and it's real. Also. Yeah.
2: And, and yeah, like, subtweet so, passive aggressive, yeah. like, liberal SJW Twitter. It, it is a thing. It is a real
1: thing. And like, and it, it isn't only just regular old internet drama. It's often about meaningful issues. It's often yeah. about how we see someone who, who has a different belief about the state of like capitalism or the way in which businesses should work. Or it can be about how people disagree on, on laws about bathrooms or about, like, there are, are there are real fights happening even inside of just the left just like there are real fights happening just inside of the right um so i so i want to start by saying like i actually do understand the strategy of turning in words uh and saying fuck trying to reach a broader audience especially right now yeah right yeah clean house first exactly that's totally a valid thing that said if what you are committed to doing is reaching a broader audience or or maybe even just you know more um humbly like reaching the people on the on the edges right the people who say i don't know how i feel about this thing and I think it can be really easy to, again, just be like, fuck off. If you don't know how you feel by now, fuck off. <laughs> uh, but there are those people who, for whatever reason, are right there teetering between a bunch of things. And, and it's important to remember that those people were produced by history just like you and I were. Yes. They came up with families and had experiences and have beliefs that come from a long, like a long line of causes and have not maybe had the right voice like leading them to, to decide something uh, on their own yet. So when I do want to reach those people, um, I try to find words that are fresh and that are, that present something in a novel way. Um, there is again, there's again a really good ta Coates piece on this. Um, he has a piece called uh, mass incarceration and the problem of language. Um, yeah. uh, I'm just going to read the intro to this, but it's, 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 you should just Google it. He, he writes, uh, I think what we name things has meaning. I also think that much of the vocabulary employed in the world of policy activism in the academy should be spurned by writers. I am deeply sympathetic to the authors uh, of the phrase school-to-prison pipeline, but it is not a phrase I can ever use. School-to-prison pipeline is a phrase that causes light bulbs to go off among people who are already skeptical of state and institutional power. But my job as a writer is to explain as clearly as possible and to avoid language that assumes agreement. This is not a favor to those I disagree with. It is an essential step in the quest to be able to explain with detail and nuance the world around me. Uh, Of course, I fail at that all the time. Brevity and clarity are sometimes at odds, but the writer strives for both. In that vein, if you ever catch me earnestly employing the phrase white privilege or telling someone to admit their privilege, take away my keyboard, it's over for me. And then he goes on to kind of explain that he had to write this whole thing about mass incarceration into this long feature. And the word that the... the, the, um, the term he ended up using was from a D and D book. Uh, so instead of using instead of using mass incarceration. Um, or instead of using uh, uh, the, to talk about like all these known terms, uh, he ended up using the gray waste from D and D, which is a plague of focused evil and mm-hmm. hopelessness and despair. And like the gray waste is just a really evocative term. Um, and that's like yeah, cool. Like find other words that make people raise their eyebrows because they've never heard those phrases before. Um, obviously, we all we're all human. We all do need to use terminology that's shared. And there are different conversations that require different things. Like when it's us talking, we can talk about privilege when I'm writing a thing specifically to reach a wider audience can I talk about that in a way that doesn't make people close their tabs immediately um, yes that is the difficulty of being a writer like I, I talk all the time about dead language like all the time I'll see someone say that a gameplay has, you know, snappy shooting controls or something, or like, you know, visceral visceral violence or like that's dead. Like, the word visceral meant something once because people thought of viscera, because people thought literally of guts hanging out and now you hear visceral and you're just like, oh, I get it, it's visceral. Like, and yeah, that's, okay, there's bad. no punch to that word anymore. Um, and so we just have to find better, newer words um, and that's, or not newer, sometimes older. We have to like, dig through words and find good phrases. Yeah. It's tough, but but that's what we try to do.
3: This This entire conversation was sort of my life at the ACLU when I worked in communications there. And I learned a lot about building bridges and a lot about sort of meeting people where they are and talking Mm. to people where they are and not talking down to people, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is the most valid complaint of a lot of folks who are uh, coming at things from sort of the opposite end of the spectrum that I am is the idea of being talked down to and not respected, um, which I... I actually appreciate on, on a pretty deep level. Uh, and mm-hmm. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the person in the in the sort of high castle, you know, not not to evoke that, yeah, the high that imagery, uh-huh. but, uh, <laughs> you know, the person from on high who's like dictating the way things should be from my point yeah. of view. I'd rather come at things from a place of mutual respect, which is not always possible. Let's obviously, no. let's be honest. No. But when it is possible, I think that is, that is always the best course of action, is just trying to respect people, respect that they came from a different place, and find ways to kind of move forward whenever possible, basically. Right.
1: And when that's not possible, find other ways to be productive. Yes. You know, like, find other ways, find other fights to have. Like, you can totally do it. There, There's enough shit that's busted There's right now. There's enough shit
3: that, we can all fix. Yeah, exactly.
1: And and let's be clear, this is not us saying, like, you gotta hear both sides, or that, like, right. everybody deserves a place at the table. Like, no, nah, some tables get shut down. Some, some tables ta- are evil. This table's evil. full right I'm now, Doc. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> some tables like, are I, shit.
1: <laughs> yeah, you ain't coming to Thanksgiving. Yeah. Like, sorry. So that, that's totally a, a, a valid response, too. It's just a matter of, like as writers what are we trying to do exactly. with with our work um, all right so this comes in for uh, from from Matthew who says hey waypointers waypointers this time i don't know, do like a waypointists or waypointers better <laughs> um, <laughs> recently there's been a bit of an uproar over some rendered nudity in watchdogs too uh patrick do you want to talk about that for a second to catch people up because i don't think we wrote about yeah, it yeah
2: yeah so um, this has been patched out of the game since um, <laughs> but uh basically uh there was a uh, there are a series of actually uh, nude character models in Watch Like 2, I think both of the uh, male and female variety, Um, uh, but uh, someone who had uh, access to the game, it might have been early, I can't remember, it's, you know, that's uh, moot anyway, but Mm -hmm. um, they took a photo of I don't know the context of like why they were taking this photo, but basically there was a woman on the ground, um, her legs were spread, and he took a uh, a photo of that, an in-game photo, uh, and shared it to Twitter or wherever. Um, and but the the character model had like a fully rendered uh, vagina. Um, That's the and, word, you know, not just. That's um, it. And uh, so that was shared uh, on Twitter or wherever, and then uh, this person was banned. Uh, from PSN, um, and then when they went to Neogaf, sort of the you know the the popular video game message board, um, they their ban was upped from a week to a month. Oh, I didn't know that part.
3: Weird. Um, yeah, that's Which wild. Yeah. It
2: was like, because you know you know this whole, and what is happening with the, the content and the content getting patched out, definitely like an interesting issue. I, my ire was more raised at the fact that a a company uh, banned someone from their service for a month for talking about something that was publicly included yeah. in yeah, a that's game that shipped. I have a huge yeah. problem with that um, and Sony never gave me a response. I uh, followed up multiple times and they just basically said we're not going to Talk about it, um. But it, it really, the, the ban got reversed. That person now has access to their account again. Okay. But uh, anyway, so that that the, uh that content uh or that model has since been uh, patched um out of the game um and is no longer uh in it. Although I'm sure there will be a PC mod that lets you put it back in. <laughs> of
1: course, of um, So I'll continue this, this email. Recently, there's been an uproar raised over some rendered nudity in Watch Dogs 2, and it raised a question in my mind that I figured would benefit from your insight. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that video games as a medium generally use nudity in an effective way that assists storytelling. What I mean by effective is something like using nudity to induce certain emotions in a powerful way, such as what we see in film. For instance, a naked character in a jail cell could induce sympathy in the audience. Nudity in a sex scene can make the scene feel more erotic, and in horror movies, the audience can feel more uncomfortable. Comfortable with nudity in certain situations. I'm not saying that all films do this, but the better ones arguably use nudity as an effective storytelling tool. In contrast, video games appear to generally want to use nudity as background dressing. For example, rendering crotchless panties on a Watch Dogs 2 NPC that you can murder at will isn't really using nudity for anything more than a punchline. The only counterarguments in video game industry I can think of uh, is the Metal Gear Solid series, specifically the torture sequences in MGS1 and 2. Uh, these sequences strip the player literally of all their weapons, gadgets, and disguises and truly leave the player feeling helpless. Showing Snake or, Ra- or Raiden nude in those sequences greatly amplifies the sense of danger and helplessness, thereby using nudity as an effective tool. With all that said, my question is this. Do you think that rendering nudity on NPCs, like in Watch Dogs, where the nudity serves little to no purpose, is a bad thing? Should we hold video games to a higher standard of this type of thing? Best, Matthew. Thoughts? Hmm.
3: I'm always going to be hmm. of the opinion that thoughtful, tasteful nudity is totally appropriate if the actual context of the scene or game calls for it. But there's always going to be a, sort of a complicating factor in games, especially in open world games, where the player can just do whatever the hell they want. Right. Like there's 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 not like one way of interacting in a game that's a lot more focused you know something where you only have one or two verbs to interact with the Mm -hmm. naked person uh so to speak like that might be more appropriate but if it's something where it's like you just take crotch shots that's like i'm not i'm not in a position where i wouldn't defend that i think creators can make whatever the hell they want but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna stand here and be like no this is clearly we need our crotch shots god damn it you know, right. um uh, so it's it's just sort of something where I think it just hasn't necessarily been used in, in great ways yet. But I do think there are certainly contexts where it would be very appropriate and and totally fine to use that.
1: Yeah, I think the context in Watchdogs was that it was a group of like nudists, basically. Okay. Um, yeah,
2: like which that, is uh, definitely
3: something in San Francisco. I mean, there was, was even totally. a case I <laughs> worked on once, you right. know, for that's, that.
2: Yeah, if, so. if you've gone if you've gone to Folsom Street yeah. Fair, then right, exactly. like, that's the thing that they were, I think it's just like, oh, this is
1: color for the for the for what San Francisco looks like. Sure. But that's like also not necessarily. Um, and I, this is not me weighing in one way or the other here. This is just me saying that that isn't necessarily, like, a, like, well, that's it. End of conversation. Because you know what else there is in San Francisco that isn't in Watch Dogs 2? Children. Like, there are no children in open world games ever, because, like, that's the line too far. You can't just have, you can't just run children over or shoot them in games. People won't go that far most of the time. Uh, I think Fallout 2 had kids. And, like, the the Fallout games tend to have kids, but, like, most of them are invincible. um, in In 3 and 4, not in. Although,
2: uh, I would point people towards... uh, um Patricia Hernandez uh did a, right. a really great feature for Kotaku talking to the people who mod the ability to yes. kill kids in Fallout, which is more complicated than that, <laughs> that yes. it sounds like yes. in saying that yes. um uh or how dark it can sound uh in that pitch. But um there one thing I wonder about um and this came to mind because I saw a quote from uh, Game Informer did they just had the new Mass Effect on on their cover story and they did this they have this really awesome feature they do with their a lot of their cover stories where they ask like a hundred questions really quickly of a developer like this in rapid fire. And they, they either um, respond very quickly or it's a short line about it. Um, And they asked something along the lines of like, is it weird to create the sex scenes for your game? (laughs) And the response and his response was, yeah, it's like incredibly uncomfortable. And it makes one thing I, I think about is the process of creating and uh, portraying sex in a video game is far different than the amount of effort and work that is put into portraying it in a film, in a book. Um, like the idea that you would have to spend weeks animating, texturing, uh, and, cr- and you know, rigging, like, yeah, a, a sex have scene. Have like, I wonder if basically,
3: like, the, and they, yeah, have like, to I work. wonder if,
2: like, <laughs> and I, and I wonder if some of that actually, like, is part of uh, the hesitation in in games. Is like, it, it's, it's it's that's an oversimplification, but I right, wonder if there right. is, there is some part of it where like the literal complexity and weirdness of putting sex into games ends up getting de- uh, getting developers to not go that. I, route. So
1: I think that that reflects. I don't know that that reflects the technical limitations or the technical uh, workflow necessarily so much as it does. Uh, and this is, again, just off, off the dome. I don't have stats to back this up, but it <laughs> reflects a history of not training to do that. Yes. Um, there are people who make, who turn out like source filmmaker porn like no big deal all the time. Like, yeah, again, Patricia's written about that. Yes. A lot of people have written about that stuff. Fucking contract those people. Not even those people, but contract people who are interested in that stuff. Contract right? Robert
3: Yang contact like Robert this Yang. Whole, this I, whole conversation we're having, I'm like, oh, I can't think of. And now, of course, I'm thinking of it right now. Robert Yang has made a variety of games that feature right. male nudity. Uh, he's a gay dude, and he, you know, he thinks of his games. And he said this in interviews also with Patricia Hernandez, you know, we are just keep talking about her. Shout out to Patricia. Great. She's great. She's awesome. Um, <laughs> I like her a lot. Um, it turns out. But he said in interviews, you know, like, he feels like it's very politically important to make games that are so gay and that, like, go after these ideas that are very, you know, taboo. Like, having dicks mm-hmm. in video games and, like, games about dicks. He made a game called Cobra Club that was about taking dick selfies. Like, that was the right. game. And, like, there's actually a lot of thought that goes into it. There's a lot of thoughtfulness that goes into that. And yeah, I'm like sitting here like, well, games doing this poorly. And I'm like, actually, there is a creator (laughs) who's doing this now. So yeah, sorry, I went off on a tangent there. But yeah, no,
1: totally, totally. I think that that's an important distinction. It's like, oh, is this a thing that isn't happening? Like, if you've been trained in the current gaming, like marketplace, if you're someone who goes through AAA studios, and who's gone up that path, you. Probably know a lot about making cinematic, like dramatic confrontations between the protagonist and an an antagonist. If that's your job, is to like do those sorts of things. Um, But then, like, sexiness is not in that wheelhouse. Like, sexiness, or or there's there's like some overlap there. I'm certain there's lots of really good Saren Commander Shepard fic out there. (laughs) Uh, But like, it's like the tension and stuff is totally there. I'm sure. Um, But like. Sorry, I'm thinking about my favorite thing in any of the Mass Effect games, which is in the Mass Effect 2 DLC when Shepard goes into the basement, uh, the Kasumi DLC, and sees a statue of Saren, and they lock eyes. And that scene, like, they don't lock eyes, he just sees, or Shepard sees <laughs> Saren there. That scene means something completely different if they'd hooked up previously.
3: That's like a much more sad scene.
1: Um, but So there is some overlap there. And I think you actually see it in some of the sexier scenes in um, uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, yeah. where like I think they actually get some of that stuff really right. Um, But, you know, for me, it's like, find the people who actually do find that fun and interesting to do right, and push them to do really well at it. Like, I think about, um, who's the, there's an animator who used to make, uh, hentai games who went on to work on, like, the Skullgirls games. Oh, yeah, yeah. Obviously, those games aren't, uh, aren't, like, porn games, but I'm sure there's an overlap in skill set of just, like, oh, yeah, I learned how to do really fluid animation here. Um, like, really interesting cartoon characters. So, I don't know, I'm, I'm... This is kind of gets back to the original question, which is like, I think there is totally a place in games for straight up porn. Just make make your fucking be honest about it. Yeah, it's twenty sixteen. Totally. You know, be honest about your horny. Just be make honest your, about your horny. Make your porn.
3: <laughs> Follow your.
1: Bliss. Wow.
2: Well, at least I. At porn. least we know the name of the podcast. <laughs>
1: um. That's like. I, mean, I think that it's just like it's it's. The thing is, like, once you're honest about it, then you can be held accountable for it yes. in terms of quality, right? Like, when it's like. When it's just like weird, shitty games that everyone makes fun of on Twitter because, like, oh wow, they made this, they made a boob lady run down a hallway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, okay, cool. Like, fuck off. Like, who cares? Um, but the second that you're like, oh, I'm actually gonna make a sexy game, and like, oh, this game is actually gonna have sexy scenes in it, and we're gonna have nudity in it, and if we can have that conversation instead, then we can start talking about what, what, how that's done well. Like, I want GDC talks on good oral scenes. That's all I'm saying.
3: Hell yes, good oral scenes. The GDC talk. I'm, I'm, I'm also super down. Write for that, that down. Yeah, it uh, sounds fun. So yeah,
1: I, I think we'll get there. I, I, but I don't think we're there yet. I think some of the Witcher stuff was actually Witcher three yes. stuff specifically was actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, for for comedic stuff and for like, but not like punching any da- punching down or anything. Just like Geralt left naked because he tried to make a move on a sorceress who got one over on him. Yeah. You know, like that stuff is is really funny and good. So yeah. Uh, that's the new to the corner. Welcome to the new to the corner of the podcast.
2: <laughs> it's also a good name. The new to for the, the corner, the yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> God. All right, so going back to the bottom of the bucket, uh, Kevin from Toronto says I'm 48 this year, and I've had video games as part of my life since the first home Pong machines came into common use. I think it's safe to say that Gen Xers like me are the first to grow up with video games, and as a result, we've seen all of the cultural shifts that have happened as gaming has matured. I'm super curious how you think the next phase in video game evolution will manifest. The perception that video games are for kids has been slowly diminishing over the past couple of decades. Excuse me. And although it's still a prevalent idea, we have seen that, uh, that range broaden as this generation ages. Will gaming culture continue to be youth oriented or will we see new spaces open up for older voices? As gaming becomes a thing that parents now pass down and share with their kids, I think there's an opportunity to broaden the scope and enrich the landscape of video game culture. Over the past few years, we've seen great progress in confronting sexism, racism, and homophobia in gaming, I wonder if ageism, for a lack of a better term, is something that can or should enter into this conversation. Thanks for a great podcast, and as always, thank you both for your thoughtful insights. Good to have voices like yours in the gaming space. Thank you to Kevin. Uh, and again, this came in before Danielle was here. He wasn't just dissing Danielle.
3: Sorry, right. I'm here to class it up. Always, thank you. Thank my, you for
1: classing it up. You know. Yeah. I think this we again think like this one fits right in with a lot of the conversations yes. we're already happen- having. My hope is that or I think in some ways that audience is being met more and more. Like the datification of games is a joke but also not a joke.
3: It's it's um, real. There are, it's very there real. Are yeah. Plenty
1: <laughs> of games for that like are about de- being a parent at this point. Um and so Like, I think we'll continue to see that stuff. Though though I also wonder how this intersects with something like the I only have X hours a week to play games.
3: And also accessibility. I mean, if we're talking about really, actually, you know, maybe not folks in their 40s, but, you know, folks in their 60s and 70s, uh, you know, there's conversation to be had there as well about accessibility and, you know, folks maybe not having quite the same reflexes as they once had, but still are interested and want to participate in the culture. I, I think we're going to see that. I think that's definitely going to happen. I know it's been a thing in nursing homes for many, many years that like, you know, the, the guy who beat adventure without a sword, because he has all day right. to kind of play a game and, and, you know, that's worth talking about too. So yeah, I, I do hope that ageism is something that, that we see tackled. And I, I mean, I want all the isms to be tackled, you know, mm-hmm. not just my isms I want everybody's isms to get uh, looked at and examined with some thoughtfulness so
2: yeah the the ageism thing is interesting, uh especially as I think about it from a sort of writer critic perspective because part of the problem with the 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 stuff that we all currently do for a living is that most people tend to graduate out of it um at around the time like at different pivot points in their life, um specifically at pivot points that involve like having a family or owning homes and things like that um you know, I'm trying to th- probably the oldest uh, critic around Till he left was Jeff Green. Yep. Um, and Jeff Green was, uh, an enormous talent, remains an enormous talent, wonderful guy. Um, it's your dad and left to go do. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's my, dad. he's my online you're, dad. game dad. Uh, <laughs> and, um, uh, and like, you know, I, I'm not even necessarily speaking to his specific reasons, but there is a trend line for people leaving, um, that, that, um, is a large part financial is, is other things, uh, as well. Um, but, uh, stuff like that leads to there being a lack of those perspectives because um just there aren't as many people doing that sort of stuff in in what we do but I think in game development that will probably be less true as as time goes on yeah. I think that it, I think we live in an age where you know we, you know look at you know uh, Sid Meier or you know Shigeru Miyamoto like there are folks who are going to be making games um they those designers may not necessarily be speaking to those sort of like their like personal uh cultural issues but the, we're going to have enough people that make games until they, they pass that I think that stuff will just kind of naturally embed itself. I hope so. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think that 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 ends up speaking, like I said, to the, the previous stuff, the, the other questions about accessibility in terms of, of time and in terms of money. Um, you know theoretically there are definitely people who are who are at points in their careers now who are older and they're in their 40s who are like oh yeah i can afford more games than i used to be able to when i was scraping things together in my 20s um but also have like you said patrick way less time because they have kids and they have mortgages and they have you know other projects that they're interested in they want to redo their bathrooms you know um aging and parents so, to
3: take care of as well as their kids etc et totally et cetera. yeah And
1: I'm, yeah. I, I'm curious how those people flag to development Houses that they're like still a, a demographic worth hitting, um, or is there stuff in place where it's like, well, yeah, five percent of our of our purchasers are above the age of forty, so we're gonna focus on eighteen to thirty five, eighteen to twenty five dudes, like as always. Um, like I'm, I am really curious. Uh, this is like one of the the questions about how culture, how the stuff of culture is made. Like in the system we have, you are you are benefited by finding the largest audience and like hitting that audience with your stuff. Like, and because stuff is so expensive to make, it's hard to go to a producer or a publisher and say like, "Oh yeah, well, we really want to include this thing that's for dads or we really want to make a free version of our game or like a a really uh, robust you know uh entry level ten dollar version of our game or or something that speaks to this audience who was otherwise like marginalized and, and when I again, like here's a word that's that's maybe dead um a little bit it was like the word marginalized means that you're literally off like you're in the margins of society your interests aren't center like you you are not uh, uh, valuable in in the like monetary way to be like addressed in either monetarily or politically you don't have political capital you don't have monetary capital so it's hard for you to count towards the sort of uh, you're not part of the force that would push someone in, in a different direction um, and so it's it's hard to imagine a world in which like game developers go like you know what? We're going to make a game for fifty-year-olds, uh, or, or we're going to make a game that's like really addresses uh, people who have sight disabilities. Um, and it's so frustrating to think about that stuff, and like to be hopeless about it, I guess. Um, but it's it's I guess this is the, the one benefit of there being the, the kind of like increased amount of games coming out from small independent studios. Is like those people have the leeway to just target those different audiences, or, or to make stuff that, that doesn't care about, you know, that stuff, to, to address those problems, because things are a little bit more flexible and a little less risky in terms of total investment, um, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying to find hope here, and I'm struggling.
3: Yeah, no, I, I my <laughs> hope is is constantly with tiny, tiny, tiny indie uh, right. folks, people making games on their own or making games with their close friends or their families, so
1: yeah, my
3: hope Often goes to those places as well.
1: Totally. Yeah, I I, I hate to, to end on the, the like, <laughs> hmm, I wonder what comes next note. Um, but, I, you know, I think generally, I think we, these questions helped us think a lot about like the state of things. Uh, so I really appreciate everyone who wrote in. If you have questions, you can write in to us also at com. That that email address has not yet changed. Uh, I want to thank Tim, who is going to probably uh, engineer this podcast. <laughs> timing he is i i just,
2: I just Thanks, sent Tim. him an email right, cool
1: awesome um uh what else thank you patrick and danielle where can people find you on the internet
3: go ahead patrick
2: you can find me at patrick klopik awesome on twitter and i don't know just paste it into google
3: <laughs> <laughs> i'm at danielle ri on twitter
1: uh, i'm at austin walker you can of course also follow us on on facebook and on uh, uh twitter for dot twitter.com slash Slash waypointvice. or Facebook.com slash waypointvice. So yes. I have to check literally pretty every week, sure, but it's always right. Sure it's always way, it. it's waypoint vice. It absolutely is. <laughs> on Facebook. Uh follow us those places. Well, where else should people follow us? We're on Instagram. YouTube? We apparently do lo- We're now. on YouTube. We yeah, we are on YouTube and a lot of our stuff is up on YouTube. I think it's also youtube.com slash waypointvice. Um what else? Uh, thanks to Boen for letting us use his song. Uh, uh miss you by uh again by Boen. you can find out info on him at bo hyphen n e n dot info uh and waypoint Vice is wrong on youtube no it's right youtube.com slash waypoint there, there we is. go i got it uh so check that out we have more videos going up that's a good way to spend your holiday weekend maybe that's what I'm going to say. Watch, like, us it, like is watch us act like goofballs. Watch yeah. us act like goofballs. If you miss some of the 72-hour stuff, let me tell you, a lot of it is up right now. We have 46 <laughs> individual game cuts up, including the one that just went up an hour ago, the Far Cry 2 thing, where because I was playing with VSync off, <laughs> it had unlocked my... <laughs> Uh, FPS, so all of the, so it was like 200, it was getting 200 frames per second, which made all the AI super goofy, including characters who just jumped and bounced all over the place. Excellent. It went really well. There's also uh, footage of us playing Sega All Stars Racing with a Tony Hawk ride controller. Yeah. That's up there now too. That's living living the right life right there. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have had a, a pretty good Thanksgiving. I hope not, the conversation at the dinner table hasn't gotten too heated. If it has, you've made it. It's the weekend now. You already had off two days or one day. You have off hopefully tomorrow unless you're in retail. In which case, buckle in. This next one's going to be rough. (laughs)
3: Good luck. I've been there. Godspeed. I
1: trust you. I love you. You can do it. (laughs) Peace.